Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fully Grown Podcast, Ministry of Turner Christian Church. I am Pastor Jack. I am Pastor Rachel. And I'm Pastor Matt. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Fully Grown Podcast, a ministry of Turner Christian Church. This is Pastor Jack speaking to you, and I am uh, with my colleagues here, Pastor Rachel and Pastor Matthew, and we uh, are excited to be with you today. Um, just talking about church and talking about the sermon that we just heard later on in the episode. Um, but in this first segment of the Fully Grown Podcast, we are talking about a very exciting topic, I find, beauty. I, I really want to keep keep track each episode of how many times you say Fully Grown Podcast. <laughs> I really like to say it on a regular well, basis. Well, I, I'm waiting for the, when we start doing a pun, seg, pun of the week segment for Fully Grown. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> we have a member of our church who wears a shirt that makes a pun about fully grown and uh like a pun is a joke that's fully grown or something like that and it's just terrible <sighs> interesting is well, that where you got the inspiration for this title is no that, okay no, it's not, it's not. i overcame that that hesitation <laughs> And that, it, uh, in spite of that, not because of it. That concludes our segment on puns. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, to which we will never return. We will never return. We're actually going to talk about beauty, and I think uh, I think beauty is such an important topic because it is so easy to get bogged down in the very real muck and mire of life. Um, but God has also um, created so much goodness and so much gorgeousness and. Um, when we overlook the good things that God has created, we miss so much. And I think, I think beauty can be, um, can be nature. It can be a person. It can be a moment. It can be an interaction. Um, it can be, um, you know, uh, watching a father cuddle his small child. It can be, uh, watching an elderly couple be generous with one another or a gorgeous sunset, or um, just a moment where you really know the presence of God. And so my question for Pastor Jack and Pastor Matt is, when is a moment recently when you have encountered beauty? Well, uh, <laughs> I'm, we're sitting up in the balcony at our church here, and I was swiveling in my chair, and I was just thinking about how how easy it is to overlook because we can be looking at things constantly that are beautiful and just like, you know, it just becomes normal. So looking at a desktop that has a photo of a beautiful lake with some hills and, and cliffs around it, like it's a very beautiful photo, but I'm just so accustomed to seeing it that it's just like, yeah, it's, it's the screensaver on the, on the live stream desktop, right? You know, so it's, um, but I, it's a beautiful photo. It's really cool. I, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I'm encountering beauty right now in terms of looking at that desktop photo. So, um, And then also just looking up and seeing the, the wood that has been used to build the ceiling of the sanctuary. I, mean, it's, I, I love it. I've always loved this ceiling. So just sitting right here right now, there's, there's beauty all around us. I love that. I think you get an A plus in the exercise. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't realize this was graded. Um, 
I, I also really enjoy um, architecture, and that was one of the first things that I noticed in this building when I came here was the roof, the the ceiling, um, and just the wood. It's it's very simple, but it's it's beautiful, and I I enjoy it. We also just this week I discovered the stained glass windows in our sanctuary that have been covered up with blinds the entire time I've been here. Um, I guess I probably saw them from the outside and didn't really connect that like there's another side to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, I enjoy church architecture and I enjoy the way that things can, uh, buildings can be used and worship spaces can be used to glorify God. Um, I'm just, uh, you said the most recent, and uh, this is going to be incredibly corny, but it it's the true answer. Um, my daughter, um, I am in such trouble being a, a having a daughter because she just has me wrapped around her little finger, and she is at an age where she has so much personality, and she has just recently started um, putting her arms up when she sees me come home from work to beckon me to come pick her up, which is an order that I cannot refuse. <laughs> and there's just um, there's just a special beauty in her i mean and i would say the same for my son just that uh, i've known him longer you know and so the more so i'm i'm more uh overwhelmed recently by charlie um because it was this it was similar with james um and continues to be but man she's just yeah yeah I love that so much. That's so beautiful. Um, Mine is also related to a small child. I was visiting my parents over the weekend and um, the three of us were praying together um, over something uh, that was heavy on our hearts. And my niece, who is five and had been blissfully ignoring our brief conversation, saw that we were praying and unprompted um, just came and and nestled into grandma so that she could pray with us. And I I thought that was so beautiful. No idea what was going on, but but prayer is happening and I want to be a part of that. Um, and that was really gorgeous. And then um, just uh, we have such, um, we are so lucky to live in just such an incredibly beautiful place. And I um I just came back from the Walmart as I was driving. Um, another down, beautiful, another place. beautiful place. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> I'm sure there. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure there are lots of beautiful things in the Walmart. Um, mainly the people. But yeah, Candles. I was driving back into town, and um, man, I just love the view as you descend the hill. Like it's just it's just overwhelming. Um, and it always it always uh it always strikes me as beautiful, and I. I don't want to lose that. I've, I've lived here coming up on a year now and I'm, I get scared that, you know, at the three year mark, will I stop noticing the gorgeousness of what God has created? And I think um, sometimes the challenge of beauty is that, as Jack said earlier, um, we just push past it. You know, we just get over accustomed to it and we forgot, forget to stop and take notice of what God mm-hmm. has provided. Well, I think um, you mentioned, you know, where we live and in this state, uh, especially well, on this side of the state of Oregon, right, there's kind of a natural tendency to forget about the beauty that surrounds us. So on, on my trek home, which is a whole long distance of like a mile, mile and a half. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> you said it so seriously that I, I was like, oh, he's he's serious. No, and then no. you weren't. And it's then a very short journey. Like, yeah. However, however, 
I will say, there's a lot of beauty that I can see, whether I look to the right or to the left. If I look to the right, there are hills, and obviously that's where the sun sets. If I look to the left, on a clear day, you can see Mount Jefferson, which is an absolutely beautiful view of a, uh, an incredible mountain. However, living in this state, there is a thing called rain and overcast and things of that nature, which I love. I think it's beautiful. I know there's other people that think rain is, you know, it's like, please go away. I'd like the sun to come out, right? But when the rain comes and it's an overcast day, I can't see Mount Jefferson. I can't see the hills because there's clouds over them, right? And so it's kind of like a natural, like a, like a, you know, I think it's kind of an image of what can happen in our brain of like, it gets overcast. There's there's rain that happens sometimes in our brain and we just forget to actually like, we forget that there's beauty on the other side of it sometimes. I don't know. I, I, maybe that's a really corny way to look at it, but. No, I like it. But you know what you can always see even when it rains? The baby goats. Yes. Because there's a baby goat farm <laughs> right up next to the road. Yeah. I don't have a metaphorical application for that insight. I'm just saying that you're just excited drive, about baby goats. <laughs> when I drive that road, I always notice the baby goats. That's fair. That's fair. There are I mean, few things cuter than baby goats. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of farmland right or left where they look at it. I think one of them grows onions because I smell onions quite constantly when I drive by there. Not quite as beautiful as baby goats. I like onions. They're uh, delicious. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I guess speaking of, of beauty, <laughs> there is a beautiful time of the year coming up, and that would be the Easter season, right? And that's a beautiful time of the year. And so um, Pastor Matt was going to kind of give us a rundown as, uh, to a few of the things that we do throughout the Easter week um, that... Uh, you know, just why we do it and what we're celebrating. So um, I'm going to say it right just for the sake of you. Uh, Maundy Thursday is something that we celebrate as a church. And um, Rachel's never celebrated it, she said. I've only done it once, and that was here at this church. And so we're just going to hand the, the reins off to you and say, explain it. What 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 is it? So um, the idea of Holy Week, if you were to do all the services— um, is that you're you're following the path of Jesus and the events of of what happened and um, I I personally before I came here had found those services to really be really powerful to the point that I was willing to put on as many services as we do because um, it, it you end up with a lot uh, in one week and Monday Thursday is I had not done it until I became a pastor out in Enterprise um, which talking about natural beauty is amazing. And I was there for three years and never did get used to it. Um, but uh, Maundy Thursday is a service that remembers the things that happened on Thursday in Holy Week and particularly the Last Supper. And I find that the name interesting. It is not Monday. It's Maundy. And that word comes from the Latin word uh, for commandment because it's named after the new commandment that Jesus gives at the Last Supper, which I think is interesting because there are a lot of things that you could name the day after. Mm -hmm. You could name it after communion. You could name it after foot washing. You could name it after a lot of the things that Jesus says. And our Maundy Thursday service involves all of those. Like we basically um, read through the highlights of the whole Last Supper and reenact the, the foot washing. We reenact the, although we do it with hands, 
And last year we did with hand sanitizer to, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. anyway, um, and then we do communion, but the, the day is named after the new commandment that Jesus gave, which is to love one another. And so, um, in our service, we've done it. We haven't done it the same way twice yet because COVID and craziness. And so the first year we actually did it in the fellowship hall, sitting around tables and to make it a meal. And we actually had food at each table. And then we basically read through the scripture, mainly John, because John gives us the most about what was said at the last supper. And we talk about the different things that happen and, uh, we reflect on the things that Jesus says, the things that the disciples say, and, and the things that happen to them. And, and we take communion together. We wash each other's hands. The first year we did that with just a, a pitcher. Um, and then last year we did hand sanitizer. And I don't know what people did the year in between because we did it online and people did it at home. Um, and But it it really, I found all the things that happen on Monday, thir- Monday Thursday to be really powerful especially when done together and it gives kind of a last a last experience with jesus before going into the darkness of good friday Hmm. because uh, i i for me i always feel a little bit separated from jesus during good friday because it's all things that he endures alone and you're kind of observing jesus in the story doing those things and, and I think that's a valuable part of the story because that is how it happened and that that prepares you for the joy of Easter. But I enjoy having that last service in the presence of Jesus and that intimacy of the meal before you go into what's hard about about Friday. Mm-hmm. So that's that's Monday Thursday. There are a lot of different ways that people do it. Our service is is different from anybody else's, but it's got stuff in common with a lot of different churches. And yeah. So that's Monday Thursday. Well, I think um, I, I was sitting here thinking, you know, that kind of creates a roller coaster of emotions throughout it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like um, so within that one weekend, because I know you have Palm Sunday as well, which is mm-hmm. joyful celebration. Jesus is you know coming in town, that whole thing. But also within like I know a lot of churches that you know I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but they just celebrate Good Friday and then go into Easter as the next celebration or, you know, they have Good Friday, not necessarily saying. I'm trying to word it correctly. They don't necessarily celebrate Good Friday, right? Because that's kind of a sad yeah, observe. day. Observe. Observe Good Friday. Yeah. Might be a better word. Um, and so, but they have that day, which is a very sad service. I mean, just going through like you, it wrecks you emotionally sometimes. Um, so there's kind of that that low and then high. But like with Monday Thursday, then you kind of have the high, low, high. You know, it's like do do, and your your emotions are jumping back and forth, but I mean, you're just going through what Jesus went through throughout yeah. that time, and you kind of you kind of are entered into the brain space of Jesus a little bit too, because like he knew he was going to the cross. We know he's going to the cross when mm-hmm. we you know celebrate Monday Thursday. So it's kind of a yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. All that to say, it's cool. Um, I think that. There's, there's no wrong way to do Holy Week. And so, you know, churches that don't have Monday, Thursday or Good Friday, I'm not, they're not wrong. Um, I do find that if you're trying to tell the whole story from Sunday to Sunday, it can make Palm Sunday hard because you're trying to tell the triumphal entry and the crucifixion, mm-hmm. or then you're telling the crucifixion and the resurrection on Easter Sunday. 
And, um, and sometimes what can happen is you go from victory to victory without really experiencing the valley of the shadow of death in between them. Mm -hmm. And so I find that those other services can be helpful touchstones for getting the full roller coaster that Holy Week is. Yeah. Because if it feels like an emotional roller coaster, then that's that's accurate. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. For for Jesus and also those who were around with him that were mm-hmm. experiencing it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. One that we don't observe and we won't, but uh, well, I, I, it's a weird way to say it. But one that we don't observe is Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday is a Saturday between Friday and Sunday. And I only say we don't observe it because we have our Easter egg hunt which is awesome and joyous and a lot of fun, which is completely the opposite of the tone of Holy Saturday. Because typically what you do for Holy Saturday is on Good Friday, you lock the doors of the church as everybody leaves and no one is allowed to enter the building on Saturday because Jesus is dead. So there are churches like Orthodox churches where that where normally the sanctuary is open all year round, but at the end of the Good Friday service, they walk outside, they turn around and they chain the doors shut and nobody is allowed to go in mm-hmm. except for the people who go in and prepare it for Easter. But we're not doing that. But I've always yeah. liked the the kind of symbolism of that. I wonder what it would look like if you just locked the doors and said nobody at all can go until Sunday. Yeah. You know, and then it's like, well, it challenges the ministers to be prepared ahead of time. It challenges everybody to be prepared ahead of time. Like Nobody can enter that building. For... Well, usually there's a there's a huge redecoration that happens from one to the other. Gotcha. Because... Easter is supposed to look very different from Good Friday. So that would actually be underwhelming if, yeah. <laughs> if nobody changed the decorations, everything was still black and dark yeah. for Easter. You'd have to march in with the decorations, ready to throw flowers <laughs> everywhere. And yeah. yeah, we're ready to celebrate. I, this is so strange. So I've never, I, I tend to seek out um, additional services outside of Sunday morning in my faith journey over the years. But very strangely, I've never attended or participated in a Maundy Thursday service. And I've also never attended or participated in a Good Friday service. Really? But I have participated in a Holy Saturday service <laughs> just to keep it strange. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited for this year and, and what new opportunities um, it holds. And, and the reason I say opportunities is because I feel like... Um, I feel like a, a you know a service outside of a Sunday morning, um, particularly one during uh, Easter week, allows us to encounter Jesus in a new way, mm-hmm. and those moments can be so powerful for our faith journey and such incredible touchstones to go back to. Mm-hmm. On the second segment of the Fully Grown Podcast, we have. Um, Pastor Rachel and I have some questions to be asking Pastor Matt about his sermon this most recent Sunday. Uh, I'm going to start with the first one that I have here. So going along with this point, Jesus taught his followers to live and worship in specific, meaningful ways. Um, My question was, what is the line between this, kind of what Jesus, how Jesus taught his followers to worship, and uh, what is the line between that and tradition? So what we kind of see church history, what people bring out, you know, and people kind of hold on to tightly sometimes. Well, I would say that there is, we don't know what all Jesus taught his disciples and his followers to do in terms of their practice. Uh, for instance, the, the two things that I mentioned, fasting and prayer, or feasting and prayer, uh, he even kind of says that the feasting is, is for a limited time, mm-hmm. that it's while he's there. 
and Jesus doesn't actually hand down many practices, many specific practices. In fact, our tradition ha- includes a lot of people, our particular branch of the fam- church family tree uh, includes a lot of people who have tried to recreate the way you were the New Testament church worshiped. And there actually isn't very much detail, like things are mentioned, but not explained or described. And, and so the Bible does not seem to be interested in giving us a ton of those specific things. Um, it seems to be focused on giving us the story that our practices are meant to tell. Because like when Jesus has his disciples feast, it's to tell the story that Israel is being renewed. It's not no longer going to be an exile. And so they're telling a story by doing that. And so if you know the story of Jesus, then you know why they're doing that. And I think that what the Bible really wants to clearly communicate is the story that our worship is meant to uh, tell. And so I think that if we get to the point where the habit of the way we've done things in the past becomes more important than the story that we're telling, I think that's when we get into tradition and, and we're, we're, we have the wrong priorities. Because there are times when things that we used to do in the church no longer communicate the same way that they used to. Mm-hmm. And so people aren't getting the message. It's not telling the story. And so if we, that doesn't mean we always have to abandon everything that's been done in the past. But if we say, no, we can't change because that's how we used to do it even though it's no longer telling the story, I think that's when we get stuck into tradition. There are a couple of things that seem to be timeless. And I would say those are the things that you can tell because of how clear the Bible is about them. And I would say those are baptism and communion. Uh, And it's possible when Jesus is talking about feasting that the, the communion is the way we carry that forward. But those are things that are very clearly, uh, described and very clearly prescribed or instructed to us to do. And so I would say that those are things that we would hold generally hold with a a more closed hand that we continue to do those. But ultimately the way we worship is meant to tell the story of Jesus. And I think that's how we should evaluate what we're doing. Um, Does this tell people about Jesus? Does this show what we believe? Are we living in a way that proclaims, the values of the kingdom. Yeah. yeah, I think we have to be really careful to evaluate sometimes our motivations behind what we're doing in services and, you know, whether we're, you know, that's that's the way it's always been and that's what we like to do and so that's why we're doing it or whether it's like, well, we see this in scripture and that's why we're doing it and we feel that, you know, we are commanded to do this or whatever else it may be. So. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at things like, like music, um, there are ways in which, um, older style music and hymns may not communicate as effectively to younger generations. And so there, that's why we continually refresh our music. But then you can also recognize on extreme ends how some of the ways worship has been updated or some of the ways uh, people are trying to update worship might confuse who exactly we're worshiping. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the content, sometimes it feels like we're worshiping ourselves in terms of the, the way things are laid out. Sometimes it feels like we're worshiping the people singing. Um, but there are also very good ways that you can modernize worship. I'm not, I'm not writing off anybody and I'm just saying that, you know, you can, there are, we still have to then ask as we're updating, is it clear who we're worshiping? Mm -hmm. Is it clear why we're worshiping and, and make sure that we're telling the story. Yeah, definitely. Well, my, my second question um, kind of relates to the point where you say Jesus does not save individuals. He restores in- individuals 
to the people of God. Um, there's kind of two different parts of this question. The first part is this. Is this the only way that we are restored or are we restored to God in some way? We are, we are restored to God. Um, the point that I was making with that, because we, we tend to be very individualized in the way we think about our faith, we think it's me and Jesus. What scripture seems to tell is that we are, we are reconciled to, into one body and then that group of people are reconciled to God. And so it's kind of like Jesus got us a group rate, like, like Jesus provides us a group on where you, if you are part of the group, you're able to get into the kingdom. Um, specifically, this is how it's described in Ephesians, um, where it says that, uh, Jesus reconciled the world to him, re- reconciled humanity to himself. Oh, here, let me find it. So I don't misquote it cause I'm already misquoting it. Um, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So the point that I was making there is that there isn't a way that you get reconciled to God without other people. We don't get individually reconciled to God. We, the people of God, get reconciled to him. And so you can't say, well, I'm going to get saved and just go off on my own way and forget about God's people and not try and live in community and not be a part of anything else. I'm just going to be a rogue Christian, which isn't to say that God never calls in, uh, Christians to go off to do individual things, but just to say that if you're, if you're, you don't get saved as an individual, you get saved as part of the community of God. Sure. Um, so the second part of that question kind of goes along well with that, I think. Um, this is just me being nitpicky here, so I apologize for that. But um, so in the point you say Jesus does not save individuals, he restores them. So the question was, why the not in that um, kind of statement? Why not say, you know, Jesus saves individuals by restoring them to the community of Jesus or to the people of God? To The reason that I said it that way was, and I, I'm not saying that I spent hours on the wordsmithing, but mainly to make it clear, to clearly differentiate the two perspectives, because there is a sense in which he doesn't save individuals. Um, he saves the church. And it's helpful like when we talk about our, the doctrine of election, which is to say God chooses people before, before um, time. Mm-hmm who he's going to save. And some people will, when we view salvation individually, that means, well, God, God decided before you ever born that he was going to save you, Jack, but sure. not you, Rachel. So there's nothing you can do about it because it's already been decided. And you, and Jack, Typical. and there's nothing you can do to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. But what's the story scripture seems to be telling is that God predestined uh, Israel. That he chose Israel. Mm-hmm. And so this group is chosen and then he gives us a way to be grafted into that group so that there is a predestination of this group. But uh, there's there's also a way for each of you and me to choose to be a part of that or mm-hmm. not. It's like um, my uh, my boss used to say when I was in Enterprise that um, that who's going to become the next president of the United States is predestined. It's whoever gets the most votes in the Electoral College. So there's a method. There's a way that's predestined, but there's still the choice that goes into becoming mm-hmm. part of that. Yeah. So I just wanted to make that, cl- that distinction clear, sure. even if it could be accurately worded otherwise, okay. just yeah. trying to yeah. make, since I'm trying to push against really strong yeah. habits that we have, um, ways of thinking. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So that's why. Cool. 
Well, that's that's what I got. So Rachel, you need, I know you, <laughs> you got knocked it, so. it out of the park, Chuck. Oh, that thanks. was fantastic. <laughs> um, I mean, when we're talking about uh, this this community that you're reconciled to, the word family comes up, and family is a word that's um, used often around the church, um, sometimes rather cavalierly. Oh, I, I see you once a week for five minutes at the worship service. We're family. <laughs> um, how do you think it looks when we're actually leaning into that word? What does a church community look like when they're living that out? I think that family, and, and a lot of this is kind of subjective of what family means to me, if I'm honest, that that's, that's where this comes from. And but to me, the distinguishing thing about family is the uh, the commitment that is made, the connection that there is that makes you family, um, no matter what. And I know that in real life, there are there are so many complications come up in family. But the idea is that this is a person that you are connected with. So, like with I have relatives where I don't see them very often, but they are family. Uh, to go back to what you were saying, they are family because we have that level of commitment and that level of I will show up. And under those, those, under certain, you know, when things happen, you know, family ideally shows up because they're committed to living together. They support each other. And, and for me, that means doing it when, because the difference between family and friendship would be that you hang out with friends because they're fun, because you have common interests. And when you lose those common interests, so you no longer have fun with each other, you kind of drift apart, you know, and it's that optional association and family to me is when you have a commitment that says, I'm going to be there even when it's inconvenient, even when you annoy me, even when I'm feeling introverted, but you have a need, I'm going to be there. And I think that's how friends can become family. You know, when you start treating friends, when families, when friends become your kind of chosen family, I, to me, I, I would use that to say, these are people that I'm committed to beyond just enjoying the relationship and, and having a purpose for hanging out with them. It's that we're now committed. And so a church, I, I would hope would become a family in the sense that we are committed to each other, to making space for each other, to helping each other when it's inconvenient, when it's not what we want to do, that we're as committed to helping the person that is, that really annoys us as we are the person that's part of our own little neck of the woods, you know, the person that we, we get along with the easiest, um, that we're willing to reach across comfort zones because that's the other thing about family is family is inherently um diverse at least in terms of generation and there, there are things that that a gener that a family will you will you don't have a family that's all people of the same age of the same gender of the same interest you know like you end up it inevitably is spread so having a family um means that you interact with people in a different generation, that you have bonds with a person in a different generation or a person in a different walk of life. You know, there was a time when I was the only single uh, sibling in my family. And as m I, I was the seventh wheel, but because I was family, space was made for me, that, that we did things that I could be a part of. And it wasn't a thought of, well, we'll just go off and do our own thing because he doesn't fit in. And, um, the same thing now with having the youngest kids in the family, that that limits some of the things that Casey and I can do easily, but family 
will find ways to include everyone. And that means that sometimes Casey and I have to be willing to do things that are a little bit harder for us to do with kids because on Casey's side of the family, she's the oldest. And so she has a younger brother and his wife that are, you know, newlyweds, no kids. They can, they want to go around and do everything. So to me, those kinds of commitments to people that are different from us, but that we, we love and we've decided to be with, um, is kind of what defines family. You know, I think um, acknowledging that the word family has baggage for literally every person that you meet. Yeah. Um, you know, for for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a very different perspective on family than someone who you know had a very um, a very rough upbringing or a very rough relationship with parents or siblings or whatever. Because um, when you say family, that can automatically be where their mind goes. And so the, then they, you know, however they view family with that word, they look at the church and say, okay, we're supposed to be a family. Well, this is my idea of, of family. And, you know, it's it's either it can be really good, it can be really bad, it can be somewhere in between. Um, and so it can be difficult um, to to kind of reconcile with, you know, the baggage that we have with that word sometimes and understand, you know, what what does a church, what does a church family is supposed to look like? Because um, for me personally, church as family is going to be, you know, harder than my family as family because, you know, they're kind of friends to me. I, I enjoy hanging out with my family, you know, and I know not everyone is the same way, but I enjoy hanging out with my family. Um, but like you said, you know, people in the church, we're going to have different ideas of even what family looks like and how family is supposed to approach each other and, and take care of each other and things of that nature. And so when you have different perspectives on, you know, subjects like that or any other subjects sometimes those can clash and so i think for me family when you're talking about church is kind of an understanding that hey we both love jesus we both want people to know jesus and so you know when things are are difficult or you know i'm struggling with this perspective that you have on the subject i'm going to put those things aside and i want to come alongside you and um, minister to people, minister to the world and say, Hey, Jesus is, is bigger than anything else that we can, you, anything, any other difference that we can have and people need to know Jesus. And so we are going to be together in taking Jesus to the world. Um, and sometimes that involves dropping things and saying, I need to go to my, my family's side and, um, you know, be here in this moment for them. Um, one subject I think comes to mind for me is, you know, there's been several people who have, who have been moving recently, just in different ways. Um, and sometimes, you know, moving takes time. It does. And uh, sometimes like that you don't necessarily have, you know, just a full week to help someone move. But sometimes you need to say, okay, I need to put aside the other things because they're going through a rough time, a rough transition in life. And I need to be beside them in this. Um, and so I, I think... You know, that's that's kind of what I think of with with family and, and church. And, um, you know, I think it can be complicated sometimes because you have just a huge gathering of people who are are different and have different ideas. But I think that's what the beauty of it can be of. Well, let's put those ideas aside and acknowledge that we both love Jesus and both want people to know Jesus. Um. So what happens when um someone is really hurt by church family which is a very 
common thing. A lot of people are carrying around some pretty big wounds from the church. So how, how would you encourage someone who's experiencing pain from their church family? Well, first of all, I, I appreciate the question and, and what you were saying, Jack, too, because I realized that there's only so much you can get through in a sermon. And um, I did not I did not really spend much time on that side of it, recognizing that that for different people, when you say church is a family, that could may not sound to be a positive association. And um, and. Then and maybe it's the it's not good on the church side or the family side, um, and it's so the church is meant to be a family in the best way possible, and unfortunately, like real family, like like biological families, um, the church fails. And um, first of all, I would say that a person who has been really hurt by the church, um, that is a r- real genuine hurt. Uh, because of all of the the possibility that the church has for good relationship and for building people up, it also has a, a lot of capacity for harm. And so for people who haven't been through that, it may not seem as like a big deal to have been hurt by your church family, but that is a real hurt and um, and it can it can cut very deeply. And and so I would want to start by acknowledging that and then to say that that hopefully such a person would be aware that as much as we seek to serve God, we don't ultimately speak for him. And so to be hurt by a church family does not tell you how Jesus feels or how Jesus wants you to be treated, that... Um, in the moment when the church is uh, hurting people, um, they're not doing they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and so you may have an issue. You, you may have this this issue with with a church um, that is not the same as God, and ultimately God doesn't want that in in His family. Um, and the ways that people can be hurt by the church are so varied and so there, there's so many different ways it can happen that, that telling people what to do can be really sticky because in some cases I would say that, that there can be a tremendous value in a church family sticking with uh, sticking it out through a conflict and finding resolution. And you can come out on the other end with an even deeper relationship. That's one of the things that makes family what it is, is that you, because you couldn't get away from each other, you had to get through those times and your relationship deepened. And so there, there can be situations where your relationship can be deepened and sticking through it can, can yield good fruit. But there are also a lot of situations where sticking with it would end up causing you to be um, hurt more and it's not going to get better. And in those cases, I would say, I would remind people that G- that God has a very, very large family. And so it is, and so being hurt by one part of the church does not mean that there isn't a place in the church where you can find a uh, home, find healing. Um, and so I would encourage a person in that situation not to give up on the church and to remember that, that it's a very big family. Um, but mainly I would just want to sympathize and recognize that there's a lot of pain that can happen in the church because it has such 
a strong power to it to build relationships or to destroy them. And so a person in that place has my complete sympathy and prayers. And um, I'm sorry that it happens. May I offer a counterpoint? Sure. Okay. I I think that that, you know, um, that people can be hurt by a church because um, a church did not act loving. They, because they um, were exclusive, uh, because they said things that were not of Jesus or did things that were not of Jesus, um, because people were um, prideful or greedy or petty or, or you know, a, a myriad of other things. I also think that sometimes we can be hurt um, by... Um, by the church because of our own weakness and someone can say something to us that's true we can hear something in a sermon that's true we can be in a bible study conversation and someone can say something to us in all love and kindness and goodness that's true and it can hurt us um because we weren't ready for it because there's still a lot of sin in that area of our lives because um we're sensitive and even if it was gentle it was scary and and i do think that um that it can be a hard conversation because there's the, the, oh man, that church did something so inappropriate. Get out of there, go find a healthy place in the kingdom of God, you know, um, get some Christian therapy, talk through it some with some trusted friends. That was a nightmare. And then all the way to the other end of the spectrum where it was, that was really hard. And I'm sorry that you're hurting, but there might be something there that you need to unpack in yourself. Yeah, and I definitely think that, um, you know, whenever you're talking about hurt in the church or in a family, you know, either side could be, either side could be at fault, either side could be misinterpreting either side, or maybe everybody's, you know, and so um, there are times when, unfortunately, in our world where you can church hop and you can just find the street on your, in your town that has all the churches on it and just find the one that won't offend you. Um, that, um, just because somebody said something you didn't like, that's not the reason why you leave. And that, again, that's to go back to it being a family is that you can't, a family commitment and it's not something you should easily leave. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I think there are a lot of times when pushing through those will be a good thing as you learn, oh, actually what they said was something I needed to hear, even though I wasn't ready to hear it at the time, or I haven't been open to other perspectives and I need to be willing to, um, you know, bear with people who want to do things differently or those kinds of things, you know, as we, we treat that family commitment seriously. Um, that's where a lot of the beauty comes from. You know, I think with, I, th I think just acknowledging no matter who, who we are, whether we're a minister, a, a churchgoer, you know, who, whoever it is, um, when you're in the church, you're dealing with people and people are messy, right? You know, it's, it's just, and people are messy in different people ways. People are people-y. People are people -y, right? You know, and um, I think it's important to acknowledge that, but also to acknowledge that, hey, I'm messy too, and to kind of think about the situations that are going on, you know, with what you're saying, Rachel, of, um, you know, it was at a time where I just, I wasn't prepared to hear what they were telling me, those types of things. You know, I think of when I was, I was a child in my biological fam family, you know, there were um, things, things that would, would go on, you know, the arguments that, that happened where I look back now as an adult and I think, huh, that was kind of my fault, wasn't it? You know, like, you know, that, that wasn't my dad, that was me, whoops. Um, you know, and, and just kind of thinking of that and, 
sometimes it does take us a few years to look back and say, oh, I get it now. I see it now. Um, and so I think it's it's definitely hard in the situation to, or like in the present to say, is this me? Is this the other person? You know, that's a really hard question to ask. Um, cause oftentimes if we're even asking a question, then we're already kind of jumping to, you know, like I'm, I'm hurt by the situation and, and, um, I don't really want to be a part of it. Um, but it's a, it's a good question to ask. I also think there can be situations, um, where you can recognize that, no, I'm, I'm right. And the other person was wrong and yeah. they hurt me. Yeah. Um, and I can be gracious. You know, it's the type of situation to where, well, I would prefer not to have this in my church family. And that was unpleasant. Their viewpoint on such and such was uncomfortable or limiting or restricted or whatever it is. Um, um, but in this particular situation, God is providing me um, the ability to be gracious. And I can still worship with them, even though I know that I don't agree with them yeah. and perhaps God will provide healing. And, and I think there's so many layers and levels that, that we can't say, um, well, in these five instances run for the Hills and in these five instances yeah. stay and fight it out, you know, like, like, um, and that, that's where like discernment comes into play in a really big way. And we need to be willing to take the time to say, I was deeply hurt by something or mildly hurt by something or whatever it is. I'm going to sit down with the Lord and God and I are going to figure out what I do next. Yeah. You know, how do I respond to this situation in a godly way? And sometimes it's, I'm sorry, but I can't worship here anymore. And other times it's, wow, I have to go have a really uncomfortable conversation with someone. Yeah. <laughs> and other times it's, that hurt me, but I just need to let it go. Yeah, I think what's valuable in both situations, whether it's the other person or, or you and you need to take off or you need to, you know, have a kind of overcome it is, is humility. It's either the humility to say, I need to place the other person above my above myself and have this conversation, or the humility to say, I can't handle this, and this is not going to be good for me, so I need to remove myself from the situation. I think humility in both in both ways can be, you know, the, the necessary avenue. Saying that is much easier than doing it, but I think that's that's kind of one of the keys, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that being family, especially being a chosen family, like the church generally runs against our instincts. So often what you should do will be the opposite of what you want to do or what you're, you know, you're like, I, I want to run away from, I just don't want anything to do with this, but I need to, mm -hmm. to fight out. And, and sometimes it's, I want to stay and fight this out and sort it out, but it's not going to work. It's not going to, you know, and I need to find another place. And, and so, yeah, if, if the, I has, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical of easy answers in those situations. Like if this is exactly what I want to do and it just seems super easy, like, oh yeah, it'll be, I'll fix it in a second. I'll just leave. Like, okay, then maybe that's not where you're supposed to do or like, you know, so yeah. unity and, and, and being a family is just, if it were easy, it wouldn't be, we wouldn't need the gospel to make yeah. it happen. And I think, you know, when we take that non-easy route, whatever it is, I want to stay and God's calling me to leave. I want to leave and God's calling me to stay or, or any any other situation or circumstance. Um, it is always to some degree painful to wrestle through those things. And I think mm -hmm. the reason that it's painful is because it's not God's design for us that we should have such levels of brokenness. Mm -hmm. um, he experiences pain when we 
mistreat one another and when we miscommunicate and when we um, gossip and are prideful and steal and all, all of the things. And, and so um, if you're if you're ever wondering, like, why is this causing me pain in my heart? Well, because it's causing God pain. It's mm-hmm. a, it's against how he wants us to live with one another. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also because there's something valuable at stake. Like those, those relationships are real and they have a real beauty and joy to them when they're functioning and to lose those it's it's painful because there's something good there. I think we could do a sermon series on the subject. So hint, hint, just family in general of the, <laughs> what, what family is supposed to look like in a church, you know? Maybe we can do that in the four weeks after the plan. Yeah, maybe we could. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We do want to thank you for joining us uh, here on the Fully Grown Podcast, the Ministry of Turning Christian Church. Before you go, before you stop listening, just hold on a second. Hold your horses. Hold, hold, hold them, okay? Rachel, there's an event coming up at the Northwest Christian Network. There is an event coming up that you were not invited to, Jack. Yeah, we're not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> it makes for me voting. angry. But... <laughs> uh, the Women's Conference is coming up April 1st and 2nd, um, just next door for us at the Oregon Christian Convention. It will be um, just an awesome and wonderful time to, uh, to talk about contentment. And there will be a lot of hands-on activities and a lot of laughter and silliness and a lot of just diving into God's Word in a very real way. And um, yeah, I'm excited about it. And you can register online um, or if you attend Turner Christian Church, you can sign up in the lobby. And online would be uh, nwchristiannetwork.org. There we go. go. (laughs) So if you're a woman, go. If you're a man, don't go. Even though I would love to talk about contentment, but you know. You are not welcome to. It's, it's whatever. <laughs> God does not offer you contentment, Jack. I guess not, you know. <laughs> you, if you are a man, you can encourage a woman in your life to come and hang out with us. Rachel, I'd like to con- encourage you to go hang out with people. Well, I'm obligated to go. I'm on the leadership team. Cool. I did my job. <laughs> so. Alrighty. So, yes, uh, the Women's Conference at the Northwest Christian Network do go April 1st and 2nd. There we go. But other than that, I don't think we have any other announcements, so we would like to thank you for joining us and do hope you will join us next week on the podcast. In the meantime, we do want to wish that you would stay healthy, stay hopeful, and go in peace to love and serve the Lord.